0: That's the other thing about this is it's purely by design that women tend to hold less resources in the world and therefore also our activism holds less resource. And that's not an accident. That's part of how patriarchy is working. And so we're here to disrupt that, that, okay, we might be in a system that's problematic, but part of that system is also thieving from us. And we have a right to that. For example, public funding, we have a right to equal say over that public funding.
1: Hey everyone, I'm Emily Collins-Ellis, and welcome to What Donors Want, a podcast by IG Advisors. I'm the Managing Director here at IG, and we're a London-based social impact strategy consultancy on a mission to bridge the gap between fundraisers, businesses, and philanthropists. At IG, we have unique access to both donors and fundraisers, and we want to help them better understand each other. And so we bring you season three of What Donors Want, our fresh, dynamic, and slightly irreverent view into major gifts fundraising from the donor's perspective. In each episode, we'll interview a donor and get right down to it. What do they actually want from the fundraisers who cultivate them. This advice and more straight from the donor's mouth.
2: Welcome back to What Donors Want. I'm Rachel Stephenson-Chef, the producer and host of the show. I hope this finds you all well and healthy and enjoying your week. I cannot tell you how excited I am for this next episode. We had the pleasure and delight of speaking with Zora Musa, executive director of Mama Cash. And it's really no understatement to say that Mama Cash is one of my favorite nonprofits out there. The first time we went to their office in Amsterdam, they immediately gave us a notebook that said, feminist with a to-do list. And essentially the rest is history. They are an absolutely fabulous team and an incredibly visionary organization. I'm joined here now by my colleague, IG's managing director, Emily Collins Ellis, who is also a fan and a, a proud feminist notebook owner. She was with me on that day. And she's gonna tell you a little more about today's guest. Thanks, Rachel. And as someone who is the most enthusiastic
1: person I know and have ever met, it is really no understatement to say that you are their biggest fan and it's really endearing to, to watch and witness. Oh gosh. So about Mama Cash, this organization that has earned Rachel's undying love and mine. They were founded in 1983. When they were founded, they were the first international women's fund. And what began as a small scale, but incredibly visionary initiative of five lesbian feminists around a kitchen table in Amsterdam has since grown into one of the largest public funds that supports the rights of women, girls, trans people, and intersex people around the world. Their slogan is because feminist activism works and that really says it all. They mobilize resources from individuals and institutions and make grants to self-led feminist organizations all around the world. Mama Cash also helps to build the partnerships and networks needed to successfully defend and advance their rights. Today on the show, we're really thrilled to be speaking with Zora Musa. Mama Cash's executive director. Zora is a passionate feminist activist who's been working with Mama Cash since 2013. And she's also the co-host of Mama Cash's brilliant podcast, Tea with Mama
2: Cash, which we really highly recommend listening to. I second that. And in line with my fandom that Emily (laughs) has has talked about. It's really no secret. I'm sure Zora knows too. But I, I do have to say, I've listened to basically every episode and it's incredible. The conversations are so so interesting. I learn so much. Every time I listen to an episode, I end up like researching a new topic or setting up a direct debit. And it's just so inspiring. And I think when you listen to it, you really get a sense for the way that Mama Cash lives and breathes its feminism, and the way that they communicate with one another and, and the kind of guests they speak to. It's just completely inspiring. Basically my favorite podcast. So before we dive in and to stop embarrassing myself... Finally, I'm going to, of course, send a thank you and a a shout out to our official season three sponsor, Siegel Family Foundation, whose generosity and partnership makes this all possible. And we also want to send a huge thank you to our fantastic media partner, Alliance Magazine. You can check out their website, alliancemagazine.org, for lots of really interesting and progressive philanthropic content. And you can get a 25% discount on an Alliance subscription by using the code whatdonorswant, all one at checkout. All right, that's it from us. Now we're going to go on to the interview and, and we're sure that you'll be as big fans as we are and we hope you enjoy it. All right, well, Zora, officially welcome to What Donors Want. We are absolutely delighted to have you on the show today. Thank you so much. I'm really excited about this conversation. It's so fun to be speaking to a, a fellow podcast host. It definitely makes it very special. So as you know, before we dive into the main questions and explore your work at Mama Cash and feminist activism and all of those amazing things, we always start our episodes off with a get to know you speed round. So there's a few questions that Emily and I are going to fire at you. You can just say the first thing that comes to your mind and then we'll get into it. Does that sound okay? Yep. All right. All right. So question number one, what has been the best thing that
0: you've watched during lockdown? The best thing that I've watched. There's many things that I've gotten addicted to (laughs) watching, but it's not necessarily because they're high quality and I'm not sure I would want to admit on the podcast and they're definitely not the best. What I can say is I really like sci-fi. So things like Discovery, I'm loving, Star Mm -hmm. Trek Discovery. And then I think as with anyone, you have your guilty pleasures. So things that feed a certain part of you and help you turn off at the end of the day and are definitely not things to admit to potential funders.
1: (laughs) I would say there is no shame in watching the entirety of Gilmore Girls for the 700th time, which the entire (laughs) IG team has done definitely during lockdown and before lockdown.
0: (laughs) I'm not going to lie. I'm on that right now I'm on season (laughs) six in a bit and I'm just like Lorelai Luke get it together oh
2: my gosh I know (laughs) I know I yes we're all on the same page
1: (laughs) (laughs) um next question for me is um who is your favorite feminist role model or inspiration
0: I mean the, the honest answer is I don't have one okay I have many feminists who I admire and think are amazing. Mm-hmm. And if I met them in person, I, I would swoon or not know what to say and, and things like that. And I think also for me, it's also moments, right? Particular things that certain feminists or, or feminist movements have been able to do or get done or who have just been so passionate about and convinced about and able to do something that I'm just moved. So mm-hmm. things as basic as like, you know, getting getting the right to vote I just find that's such an incredible effort. Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't name a particular person in that because that was, yeah, that was decades of work by many, many feminists. Yeah, 100%. What is your favorite thing about living in Amsterdam? Definitely the cycling. Okay, I have to admit, when I interviewed for the job at MoMA Cash, I didn't exactly know where Amsterdam was. I mean, I didn't know where the (laughs) Netherlands was, like I didn't get it even though I was living in London. And all I could get my head around was, well, you can get there by train from London, so it can't be that far. And I had no concepts around the Netherlands at all. And then I got here and I don't, I mean, I don't know how many of your listeners have been to Amsterdam, but I mean, they're cycling and then they're cycling. Like they are not messing around over here. It's traffic on its own. It's got its own traffic system, traffic lights, all of it. Everyone owns at least two bikes, young people, old people, tricycles, unicycles, bicycles, hand operated. So it's kind of amazing and you can get anywhere with it. So even during the lockdowns, when transport is more limited or we're encouraged not to use public transport, you're still very, very mobile if you can use one of your wheeled contraptions. (laughs) It's really great.
1: That's awesome. Next question is, if you could take three months off and intern in a completely different profession, which one would you choose?
0: If there was a way to be a naturopath without having to talk to people and actually poke at other people's bodies, (laughs) I would want to do that because I really want the knowledge. I really want to understand more Mm -hmm. about the body and ways we can support it to thrive. But I don't really Mm -hmm. want to talk to other people about their like, weird weird things going on with their voice (laughs) yes that's fair enough (laughs) yeah what is your favorite genre of music these days oh this is so embarrassing it's any kind of like latin beat pop kind of thing
2: oh yeah oh yeah
0: oh yeah (laughs) yeah carlos is gonna love this it's harsh but it it gets me going in the morning it's just yeah you know you Mm -hmm. move around a little dance around a little
1: and we've saved the hardest question for last, which is Beyoncé or Destiny's Child?
0: Yo, that is controversial question. <laughs> I would have to say Destiny's Child because it's a collective of women, mm-hmm. and I'm for collective organizing and collective action over individual heroes. That was
1: what I was saying. But I, I have, have been
0: to a <laughs> Beyoncé concert because she invited. She came to Amsterdam and invited Makash to. Oh my god! To join, and it was amazing and epic and she's oh my she's a phenomenal woman so
1: i just got Starstruck Beyonce. By if you're listening from that story. please
0: i totally <laughs> choose you if i had to, if you were in person but in theory <laughs> well i suppose child. if you
1: choose destiny's child you do get
2: beyonce it's, it's true, just, it's you true. <laughs> Amazing. That is the end of the speed round. Thank you so much for indulging us in that. And that was a perfect way to end that. Great answer. So now, of course, we want to dive into your work at Mama Cash and all about feminist activism in your background. So, of course, as listeners know, you are the executive director of Mama Cash and you are a passionate feminist activist. Before we dive into these topics, though, could you zoom out for a second and tell listeners a bit about your background? How did you get into the world of activism and nonprofits in the first place?
0: I didn't have that kind of click moment that sometimes feminists talk about where you you just, the penny drops and you kind of notice sexism or realize something. I don't recall having that moment exactly. It feels like it was always there, but it Mm -hmm. wasn't always about sexism. So I think I was probably politicized first around more race and maybe religion because I was an immigrant I grew up as an immigrant in Toronto in Canada and I lived in an immigrant and working class neighborhood and yeah I mean it was a it was a bit rough and there was a lot going on at the time and I think I you kind of notice you realize like you know what's the same what's different about me and and others and I also grew up religious I'm I'm Muslim and that was a very important framework uh, in my upbringing. So I grew up also with a, a very strong moral compass and sense of justice. And that combined with also being an immigrant and, and really feeling that, like I had an accent, for instance, I had a British accent when I grew up in Canada. Mm-hmm. So in the first few years, you know, people were like, why do you talk so funny and this kind of thing? And I, th- I think it was just noticing difference and noticing mm-hmm. how people got treated from difference. Having a kind of, sense of like what's fair and that's not fair and Mm -hmm.
1: I love that because I feel like like a lot of people do have that describe that kind of penny drop moment but when you're so kind of swimming when it's the air you breathe right sexism and discrimination it's not something that necessarily always clicks for you if you've been kind of drenched in it your whole life. And I'm so glad that that led you to the work that you're doing. So speaking of the work you're doing, we've already told listeners a little bit about Mama Cash in the introduction, but for anyone who isn't familiar, can you give us like the, the elevator pitch or kind of tell them about the work that Mama Cash does?
0: I would probably say the easiest way to explain it is that we, we kind of mobilize and gather resources from people that care and we channel them. What we say is we channel them to people that dare. So we're basically supporting feminist activists all around the world. And we're we are we're a fundraising organization ourselves and we exist to help and support the feminist movement to get the resources it needs to get its work done. We're kind of this bridge between that and we exist, we're created, we were created by feminist activists and we are we still consider ourselves part of the movement, but we're a donating part of the movement. We're a funder part of the movement, but we're kind of this... Bridge between.
1: And what's your specific role as executive director in that context? What do you focus your time on? (laughs) (laughs) Everything.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, from 2021, Mama Cash will be the first completely global feminist fund. So, we will be funding on any topic anywhere in the world that's relevant for feminist activism. And I think our particular niche is both who we fund and how we fund so who we fund is very much focused on folks that are experiencing multiple or or compound problems what we you know we might call intersectional issues and in particular folks that in their context are challenging concepts that are highly contested often controversial sometimes criminalized Mm -hmm. but that are are those things because if they were if we were to overturn those they would disrupt the status quo so fundamentally they would be so disruptive to the system that it would really open up all kinds of things so we really are working with those who are yeah extremely pressurized in their context and how we work with them is we do both grant making and and what we call accompaniment so we are politically accompanying them and supporting them with non-financial resources to support whatever it is they're trying to do. Because funding is only one piece of what is missing, usually, for people to really get done what they're trying to get done. And the other piece of it is that we make our decisions with activists. So, again, from 2021, we'll be, our grant decisions will be made participatory with activists in in the decision-making process. We already do that with some of our portfolios, but that'll be rolled out across our portfolios. And I think my role in that as the executive director is to just keep up basically with kind of the courage and the conviction of feminist activists. So I see myself as one part in a story that began before me and will continue after me. And... I'm in a kind of stewarding role. And what I'm stewarding is, is a vision and a set of values. And we might, you know, change the language of the particular words or vocabulary, but the kind of general direction of travel is the same and the level of ambition is, you know, as, as big as, and expansive as we can imagine it. And so my task is really to kind of keep an eye on that, to keep challenging us to meet where feminist movements are are pushing and trying to take us and to bring kind of bring along other donors as much as possible that's incredible
2: and it's so exciting to hear about the the 2021 vision and and what will happen after that that's very very cool and and it's so clear and and has been for a very long time essentially since since your founding in 1983 that Mama Cash is one of the most progressive feminist funders out there. And many people look to you as an example of of inspiration and best practice. And so we're wondering what does that position and responsibility mean to you as an organization and and as an individual, and especially
0: in our our current political context? I think it's been it's been (laughs) this is a simple way to put it. It's been an interesting year. And Going into the start of the year, we knew that there were going to be some particular challenges, right? There are there are some real challenges and threats to human rights activism right now. And I think the global pandemic of COVID-19 exacerbated inequalities and injustices that that existed. Just made made worse a whole bunch of things and made it more difficult to organize to change those things, right? Has prevented us in changing the situation and that's been I think really really hard. We also saw though at the same time the movement for Black Lives catalyze global uprisings. So at a time when it was already going to be hard and it was getting worse because of the pandemic we saw a movement push back and advance things and for me, that was really sobering, and of course, inspiring and very challenging in terms of the work we're doing at Mama Cash to say, I don't know, we were talking earlier about you know this being a bit of a zombie year, just is it the zombie apocalypse? Can you even believe what's going on? And this happened and it was like, wake up, because it's still possible to change a lot it's still possible to demand more and demand better. It's still possible to reach for liberation and to achieve it. And so I think the, the lesson for me is just meet the moment. And what I said before, keep up with where activists are innovating and generative and pushing. That's mm-hmm. our role, is to support them. So do it. Absolutely. I think I, I recently heard
2: on another podcast, which is something I didn't know, but the word apocalypse means to uncover. Mm-hmm. That's the the Greek root of the word. And I thought that was so cool and a very, um, a call to action within these times. And that's very cool that Mama Cash is clearly leading the charge and, and in many of those spaces and, and really in, in the philanthropy space, no doubt. I'm wondering if you can share any examples of other feminist funders that you admire and that it, for listeners who who might be feminist activists themselves or are looking to engage and build partnerships with that kind of audience, wh- who would you recommend that they look at and reach out to?
0: Yeah, sure. So there's so many. There's so many awesome feminist foundations and and what we would call a women's fund. There's so many women's funds. Some of them are issue-specific, right? So... You have Frida, the Young Feminist Fund, you have FEMI, the Indigenous Women's Fund, you have Estrella, the Lesbian Foundation for Justice. Then there's also sort of context-specific geographic funds. So depending where a person is, there's going to be a fund that's you know relevant for that context. So the African Women's Development Fund, for example, or the Asian Women's Fund. There's also tons of like Latin American women's funds. And then I think There's also different kinds of funds. So for instance, there's the the Sisterhood of Urgent Action funds, which provide rapid response grant making. So they're there in a pinch. If there's suddenly an opportunity or something at risk and at stake, they back activists on that. So I don't know, there's kind of no shortage of funds. A good place to look is on the Prospera website. Prospera is a network of women's funds around the world. And I think we're, over 40 now in terms of the membership. So that's always a, a good place to look to find yeah, an inspiring one that you want to support. And there are really awesome ones and they're all over.
1: That's amazing. And I think that what we love about women's funds is that kind of network effect that you just kind of described. You know, there is there is X many women's funds. They operate in all of these different ways. But there is also that kind of international collaboration, in some cases coordination, and that is possible to be eligible for connecting with Mama Cash from a global perspective, a local women's fund. And then also, you know, something specific to your type of work, whether it's kind of emergency or kind of longer term as well. But kind of zooming out to the broader (laughs) philanthropy sector, you know, so much of that world, so much of our world is centred around what we would describe as traditional grant making. So we see that as kind of funders donating to established registered organizations, charities, often in quite a restrictive way. So being specific about what it's for and how you can spend the money and how you report on it and expecting, you know, tax benefits in the case of some funders and and a long report in returns are quite onerous on the nonprofit side. So in an activism context where you're maybe not funding registered organizations or you might be funding individuals, you know, how how is that different for you? And what is different about the way organizations come to Mama Cash and the way you make decisions on those?
0: I think one of the big differences about, that makes Mama Cash different as a funder is that we are run by feminist activists. So not everyone is from from the movement, not everyone who works at Mama Cash is from the movement, although everyone is committed, of course, to the movement's agenda, but a whole bunch of us are. And so we come from practice-based experience and practice-based knowledge. It's not theory, it's not just theory for us, it's not just academic learning. And I think we found that it's very difficult to produce the change that you wanna produce if you don't have it within yourselves to generate. And so it makes a big difference you can't bake a good cake if you don't have good ingredients, right? So if we're trying to foster and facilitate and support a particular kind of progressive or radical or ambitious feminist activism, then it also has to come from us in terms of our vision and our ideas and about how it can work and and what's our role in that and a constant interrogation and examination of our place in that. So I think that's one thing that would that makes us different, it's, it's, it's a job, it's work, but we come from having many of us applied for funding ourselves, you know, working in, in activist organizations and things like this. I think another difference is that we aim to be a responsive rather than a directive funder. So, as I said, from next year, we won't be funding primarily through thematic portfolios, which is how we've been funding for the past 12 years. And that's because we're trying to be responsive. We're trying to stay responsive. And we see that movements are working on multiple topics often. There's a lot of cross-movement organizing. And it's not that issues don't matter. Issues still matter, but not necessarily the boxes, right? It doesn't matter what thematic box you're in. It does matter what you're working on. And so we try to do things like that. We try to adapt to feedback we're getting. We try to... For example, we have open calls every year because we want to invite new partners and provide funding to new groups that we don't know yet. So some funders, for example, only go by invitation. It's so difficult to have an open call. We have so many applications that we can't fund. It's a huge amount of work every year to process. You know, we get like 2,000 applications sometimes. It's really a lot to process for, you know, 15 to 25 new grants. But at the same time, we we want to stay open, we want to stay responsive, there may be issues that we're not aware of our issues, because if we didn't open up, we wouldn't know that. So those are, I think, a couple of things about what make us different. And in terms of, I guess, applying, I don't know how different that is. I mean, there's some things that we just, you know, are all asking for in terms of help us understand who you are and what you're doing. I think from Mama Cash's perspective, we try to make it so that we're looking for political alignment. We're not looking for so many pamphlets published, so many workshops held. It's not about the work plan. It's not about the activities. It's about the purpose. And if there's political alignment, then we aim for, for very flexible and longer term funding. So it's a kind of multi-year partnership that we enter. And as I said, we're moving to a completely participatory approach whereby the decisions also are not not just made by staff. Right now we get input from activists, but we're going further with that. We're evolving that practice further to actually be co-making decisions with activists. And I think that's also a little bit different. There isn't a fund that exists right now that's global and on every topic and in every region that's also participatory. So this could all break. I mean, we don't know how this is going to work. We're planning it all out. We're doing our best, but we're really trying to stay with movements, keep up with them and also be yeah. in movement with them.
1: And I guess you're kind of living the things that you want to be seeing in the organizations you're partnering with, right? Like ambition, trying new things, taking risks, challenging the system to be better. In the context of those open calls, like you say, there are a lot to process and you know, you, you do that to ensure that you're being responsive. What What are the things that activists and people who are, who are responding to those open calls, who are asking you for money, what are the things that they do that make your job easiest and hardest?
0: I think the hard, hardest thing is just we, we have way more demand than we can fulfill. So we just don't have the funding to respond to what we're being asked. And a lot of what we're being asked is absolutely within our criteria. We would want to fund it if we had the funding. That's not something anyone's doing. That's the situation as it exists, right? Feminist organizations are chronically underfunded. This sector mm-hmm. is amongst the least funded of of all human rights sectors. So that's just the situation. I think what can be helpful, and what what we hope to you know continue to improve on ourselves and help contribute to this change is that we try to be more transparent about what funding exists and what funding is available, and also try to break through the competitive part of what's happening. And we're doing that by, you know, making this decision, making it more transparent, having activists be more involved in decisions so they can also see what we're up against in terms of making these decisions. But I think sometimes it, it would help, and I don't, know, I don't know how to make this happen, but if people would genuinely consider whether it's worth applying to Mama Cash funding or whether, you know, not applying this year, applying another year or applying to another funder, could make more sense because there's also a lot of applications we receive that are outside of our criteria. And we always give a reason for our declines. So that's something people can expect when they apply. We explain why it's a no, but sometimes it's as simple as you're outside of criteria. And that for me feels like a a waste of resource that people have spent time applying for something that if they had, you know, read the website and maybe it's on our side too, we need to be clearer or explain it differently or whatever it is. Sometimes so we're just missing each other and that just, mm. that doesn't seem as useful. But other than that, I mean, that's pretty basic. Other than that, I think it's just the situation. This is, we need more resources for this work.
2: Mm. 100%. And it would be great to ask you more about those resources because, of course, Mama Cash, as you mentioned, is a fundraising organization itself. You're, you're fundraising from external donors, and then you're channeling, I can't remember what you said earlier, but you had that great phrase about channeling it into-
0: Mobilizing from those who care and channeling it to those that dare. Those who dare,
2: I love that's it, it. <laughs> love it. <laughs> I'm not sure <laughs> that, if our team is gonna approve, but we'll just glide over that for now. <laughs> I love it, I love it. So from those who care to those who dare, and you're in this middle position where you're essentially a, an advocate in, in your own right to for those feminist groups around the world that you're funding. But that's also, I imagine, it's a unique but also sometimes a tricky position because you're, to some extent, accountable to those external donors and to their thematic priorities and, and to the issues they care about. And, and you're needing to kind of translate that and, and, and channel that funding to those who dare. So what is that like to navigate and to be in that middle position?
0: It, I mean, it's not easy. It's also the role of a women's fund, though. Women's mm-hmm. funds exist Exactly for this purpose. That's why we were created. It is to be this mm-hmm. this bridge and this effort from feminist movements towards donors to say, can you provide more and better funding mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for these issues that you say you you want to progress? You say you're interested, right? These are we're going to funders who are like, Yep, women's rights are super important. We totally care about this. And so as Mama Cash, it's our our task to kind of explain okay great we have a shared commitment here here's the gap in terms of executing that so that it actually works Mm -hmm. so it's it's not easy but it's it's the task and I think we're up for it and all I can say is you you kind of yeah you have good days and you have less good days right it's not easy also to confront for example, foundations that come with a lot of money and a lot of capital that are are just very powerful. They're powerful mm-hmm. in the world, they're powerful in society, and they're powerful in the funding ecosystem. So Mama Cash is a donor, is a funder, and nominally is a peer, but it's it's a bit David and Goliath sometimes, right, what we're talking about. So that's not always easy to walk into a room and, no big surprise, I'm a, you know, woman of color I look kind of young a lot of the time and I'm walking into spaces where I'm the only person of color, usually the youngest, you know, one of very few women, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm there to talk about, you know, how they need to completely revamp their (laughs) systems. So that doesn't always flow so easily and it's definitely challenging, Mm -hmm. but I also see that as That's what we're here to do right now. That's the task of us. Other people in other parts of the movement are doing other things for Mm -hmm. the agenda.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. And we've worked with so many feminist nonprofits and, of course, Mama Cash included, which was, was an amazing experience. And one of the key questions that we hear feminist organizations, I should say, asking is how feminist, quote unquote, they should be with their messaging when it comes to their fundraising, because they're trying to engage donors who might be, whether that's an assumption or the truth, a little bit more traditional in the way that they understand women's rights so that they might understand that phrase, women's rights. But when you say intersectional feminism, they don't really it's not an accessible term to them. And and some nonprofits or organizations are worried that that kind of messaging will scare them away so to speak. So I'm wondering, how do you navigate that at Mama Cash? Because of course, anyone who can go to your website will immediately understand what that political alignment looks like for you and that you are a feminist funder, which is amazing. I'm just wondering if you have any advice and share any insights on, on what that's like to navigate and what you would recommend for other feminist organizations looking to position themselves.
0: Yeah, I would say it's real. So the stigma is real and the the risk is real that if you did that, you may not get certain funding from certain funders. And so it has to be part of the analysis. We have definitely made choices at Mama Cash to dial down on some jargon or some language and dial up other language or jargon or at other times. And it depends on the funder. I think for us, what's important is that there's a there's a values or a politics alignment. So it's not about the words sometimes. I mean, it matters in some ways it matters, right? In some contexts, it, it's really about which words you use and and why let go of the word feminist, right? What Do we not understand that there's a reason that that has pushback and it's, it's because what's behind the agenda, right? So let's be serious about that and let's recognize that there's a reason people shy away from the word feminist, also why they shy away from, from words like lesbian or whatever, right? There's reasons for that. At the same time, you know, I take a kind of, I don't know if this is a way to say it, but like a pragmatic strategic decision, right? If that funder is a strategic funder that you want to partner with and what you can get done together is worth it and it means you adjust your language but not your delivery, right? So MomCash doesn't change what it's doing, but we might change how we describe what we're doing. Then for me, it's fine to do that because also... You're trying to communicate with, with a potential donor, right? They have to understand you. If you're using words like intersectional" and they don't understand what that word means, why would you hold on to it? They, you're literally having a conversation with a person who speaks a different language. that doesn't make any sense. You have to change. So if it's that they don't agree, or you know, that you know, people face a variety of issues depending on their different social identities, or you, know, it's exactly the same if you're white or if you're black then you have a problem. And that's a different education exercise versus just don't use the word intersectional and use something else. So I, I come from there. I'm I'm more about kind of why are you there and who is this and what's, what's at stake here and not about the pushing particular languages. And you do have to pay attention to that. It really can make a difference. But it's like anything else. When you meet a person, it matters how you dress. We don't like it. It's not great. I'd love it if people didn't react to whatever, my hair, my whatever it is, but they do. So, you know, you're trying to make a good impression without changing yourself. I'm not, not Zora, just cause I'm whatever, not in jeans and wearing dress trousers <laughs> instead of something else, right?
1: Yeah. And when it comes to kind of speaking about, I guess, big complex issues, feminism being one of them, capitalism being another, Mama Cash talks a lot about capitalism, critiquing it, holding it to account, integrating those kind of ideas into what feminist activism and resistance is. And just as an aside for listeners, we really recommend listening to the episode Breaking the Bank of Patriarchy on Tea with Mama Cash, which is an awesome podcast episode. So both Rachel and I are very much aligned with your thinking on these issues, but we're really curious about what it means for you as a fundraiser, like how you navigate resisting capitalism whilst fundraising from philanthropic sources, which are obviously fundamentally capitalist, and how other activists engage with money from a feminist perspective.
0: Yeah, it's a hot topic. It's a hot topic at Mama Cash. Lots of debate. Mama Cash was founded by a group of five lesbian feminists, as... as You'll all have heard who were part of the anti capitalist squatter movement in Amsterdam at the time. So, from our inception, we were about this dilemma and this tension of okay, what if we had funding for our movements that, of course, comes from capitalism? And, you know, that's it was through Marian Sachs' inheritance uh, that Momokesh was able to start. And yet, infused with these values of it's, capitalism is a problem. Yeah, it generates problems in the world and it's, it's, not, it's not neutral. I think the way we navigated at Mama Cash is, again, a kind of strategic practical approach where we're, we're clear that ultimately that system needs to be disruptive. An extractive system that exploits people and planet and leads to gross inequalities is not okay but we're not disappearing money overnight and we're not disappearing the system that we're in. And I I think about it personally, I think about it a little bit like, you know, the labor rights movement, where you're still going for equal pay, you're still going for decent work conditions. At the same time that you're saying the class structure is a problem, waged labor can be a problem. But while we're in it, it's got to be decent wages, and there's got to be good health care and so on. So I think it's, I think of it a bit like that. We do talk a lot with Mom cash about sort of how do we stay autonomous? And I think that's where it matters to us what kind of funding we're receiving because we want also the the partners that we support to be able to maintain their autonomy from us also, right? That they're not donor driven, that they're not doing things because we said so, that they can really independently decide. So. That's why our funding is core and flexible and longer term. So they can plan ahead and also do do what they need to do. And we also seek that kind of funding. And so we are interested in working with funders who don't necessarily have the same ideological view on capitalism. I mean, they can have it or not have it, but that they understand why core funding, flexible funding, longer term funding matters. Why unrestricted funding is important. And on that, Mama Cash is also funded by individuals and it's like one of the most important sources of our income. So when we are backed by individuals and a whole bunch of individuals who are with us on this and are saying through their their money that they support women's rights around the world and they support feminists working on women's rights, right? And that they're doing that kind of from their own sources of income, that that helps, I think, because it's still within the system, but it's, it's a solidarity act, right? And it's a recognition of inequalities. It's a rec- recognition of unequal distributions of resources and people going, nope, this is important to me. I'm going to help make sure it happens. Women's rights matter to me. I'm going to help make sure it happens. I'm not necessarily on the street every day, but I do have some money and I can help the cause by contributing that. That's what I have available. Maybe not time, maybe not energy, maybe not whatever, but I do have this. So I think that's sort of how we we work it. It's not easy. You can join one of the debates if you like. <laughs> Come on.
1: <laughs> Would love to.
0: But I, I think we're also just like, this is this is our task here is to, as mm-hmm. I said, bridge between the resources that are intentionally not going here, right? So that's the other thing about this is it's, purely by design that women tend to hold less resources in the world and therefore also our activism holds less resource and that's not an accident that's part of how patriarchy is working and so we're here to disrupt that that okay we might be in a system that's problematic but part of that system is also thieving from us and we have a right to that for example public funding we have a right to equal say over that public funding
1: yeah. And I think also in what you're saying is something that we talk about a lot with clients that face a similar dilemma, which is that you can use the machinery of capitalism and the machinery of money. And in some cases, the thinking, the ideology or the theory of of inequality and in like corporate inequality as well for fundraising purposes to kind of disrupt that inequality and kind of turn it turn it into something productive and I, and we we've had like lengthy debates as well off the back of you know winners take all and, and and some of those kind of broader conversations about inequality and philanthropy that really always come back to exactly what you just said which is you know fundamentally using that that infrastructure and that messaging and that understanding to talk to talk about making a case for disrupting it and and cr- creating a new version out, out of the back of it and using its power almost against it which I think is really important.
0: I mean I think it's tricky, right? Like so we could go to Audrey Lord saying, you know, you can't use the master's tools to disrupt the master's house, right? There's a limit to what will be possible in terms of working within the system to disrupt the system. At the same time there's definitely room to improve the situation as it is now and this This has has material consequences, right? We are talking about people who are directly under attack. So the issues Mama Cash works on are as basic as violence against women and girls all over the world, right? As basic as attacks against trans people, you know, compulsory surgeries, unconsented compulsory surgeries against intersex people. So when you're talking about things like this, that needs to change now, today, that needs to Mm -hmm. change. So there yeah. are things that still need to get done within the system we're in, even as we work to, okay, is this the best we can do? Probably not. So what are other systems and visions of systems we can come up with? And let's move toward those things. But we we do still need to take care of some things today.
2: Yeah, I love that. I think about that Audrey Lord quote a lot, the master tool, master's house, because it's, it does get to the essence of this tension. And but I think what I love about your response is that when you get into the theory of it too much and understanding how can, you know, is it right to disrupt the system with the system's tools, then you can get into a state of paralysis where you do nothing because it's so big and it feels so insurmountable. So I really love that that is still part of your values and and your approach, but that you actually do something about it as well. It's It's both and. I think that's really powerful. A perfect segue as well into one of the last things that we want to ask you about, which is the future. So of course, you know, none of us have a a crystal ball, especially uh, not this year, where anything seems possible and unpredictable. But uh, certainly recently in the sector, there have been so many critiques of philanthropy and capitalism, and, and these conversations are much more mainstream than they've ever been. And that's very powerful. And of course, the the first episode of Tea with Mama Cash this year was all about imagining feminist futures and really, really taking a view to what's possible and and not working from a place of scarcity. So we wanted to ask you about that, you you know, everything that's happened this year, but specifically thinking about the nonprofit sector and and that's philanthropy and fundraising, but also programs and operations and everything within that complex. What would a future feminist
0: utopia look like to you? Big question. Yeah. There would be a lot of chocolate and dancing. Yeah. Fair, fair trade organic chocolate, obviously.
2: To Latin music. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure that's the utopia, but it's definitely on the way. We'll have to use it. I don't have a short, pat answer to that. And I don't know that there's one feature. I think mm-hmm. part of what I appreciate about working with an at Mama Cash is. We do take a kind of expansive, inclusive, pluralist approach to these things, which is that no one has the complete answer and everyone has something to give. So I think what would be amazing for me isn't necessarily what would be amazing for the next person. And I think we often are trying to find a a fix for everything and everyone. And I think that's we can be more creative there. So I think. It's not just a utopia, it's kind of also about feminist realities, right? How do we live every day as if we could live our, our freest selves, our happiest, most joyful, um, and most just societies? What would that look like and, and where, where do we have it already? And just recognizing that there is diversity there, there, there are different ideas about that, and they, there are things that exist now that we want to reclaim and retain. And I, I think that's the other thing I would say about this is sometimes I hear a focus on future as if we have to invent new. And I think I subscribe also to the idea, of course, creating is important, but also reclaiming things we've lost, things that have been denied to us, things that have been stolen from us, and just just reminding ourselves about that. We have some really important things that we just need to remember, like caring about each other. It's very simple. COVID made it really obvious how bad we are at taking care work seriously, yeah, right? Definitely. Like, it's just absurd. How do we still not have the means to support people to take care of elderly people, people who are sick, who might need some help, who children when they're not in school? Like, we just broke. We were just, like, in- unable to function, I, I find that kind of ridiculous. And these are, these are old lessons. This is not something we need to invent to figure out. This is basic. Human life is worth caring about and caring for each other makes a difference to our ability to survive every day. And of course, things like pandemics. So I think it's also, yeah, reclaiming.
1: Mm, I think that those kind of fundamental things like caring about each other, that that brings you back to what can be part of activism. It's not all necessarily kind of massive movements to kind of create systemic political change, like things like that fundamentally caring about each other are missing from our society. And so small acts can also be activism in that context and and quite radical activism in some, some situations as well. So this conversation has been fascinating and included so many things. So I think my final question for you is going to be really challenging, which is, what is the one key thing that you would like the fundraisers listening to this podcast to take away from the conversation with you?
0: I think it would be that funding really matters to the change we're going to be able to achieve in the world. It's not just the amount, the amount really matters, but also the quality, the type of funding. And so every effort we can make to get more and better funding to the visionaries and the activists that are actually carrying out work that helps all of us right it's it's to our benefit that this work succeeds is is good work to be doing so good luck and go for it
2: brilliant that's incredible oh my goodness Zora thank you thank you so much for your time sure for sharing good all of these this is truly one of the most fascinating conversations and important conversations that we've had on the podcast and it's such a privilege and honor to to know you to know mama cash and to support the work that you guys do we're just huge fans to say the least so thank you thank you
0: so much for the opportunity and i i think this podcast is awesome so thanks for the opportunity to contribute
2: that's all we've got for today. Of course, a huge thank you again to Zora for her generous time and advice and for being so open to dive into these topics with us. It's such a pleasure. Do you think she got the impression that you were a big fan?
1: Think I, that think, came across?
2: I think it may have come across. <laughs> <laughs> I know that listeners, you can't see my face on Zoom when we were recording this, but there was a lot of nodding. <laughs> a lot of nodding. Very, very enthusiastic listening face. You should stay
1: tuned for more exciting episodes coming from us soon. And in the meantime, you know where to find us. We're on Twitter at IG underscore advisors. Our website is impactandgrowth.com or you can email any of us on the team directly for a virtual tea or a coffee. All of our emails can be found on the website. We're here to chat with you about philanthropy, fundraising, feminism,
2: capitalism, the Gilmore Girls, really anything you choose. And finally, of course, a huge thank you again to our official sponsor, Siegel Family Foundation, for making this all possible. And to our media partner, Alliance Magazine. Don't forget, you can use the code WHATDONORSWANT, all one word, for 25% off an Alliance subscription. Thanks again for listening, everyone. See you soon.